We're going to do things a little differently today, and I want you to turn to the book of Acts. We are going through still the book of Acts, and we have been for quite a while. And uh, when I get to take a turn, um, I get to have a little fun because uh, I am I, kind of just looking at the whole book and saying, okay, are there some themes in the book of Acts that we could explore and talk through together? And we're going to do one of those today. We could sum up the story of Acts this way. The Lord goes up, right? The Spirit comes down, and the church goes out. And when the church starts going out, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the resurrected, risen Lord, great and mighty things, because of the Holy Spirit working through them, great and mighty things happen. Some are quite unbelievable, For sure, they are unexplainable and out of the realm of everyday, ordinary experience. And when we have, when we come to these things, we have a word that we use to describe them, these kind of events. The word is miracle, miracles. Um, Sometimes they're called in the text signs, wonders, or mighty works. But on every page in the book of Acts, these things are staring you in the face. As a matter of fact, if you take the miracles out of the book of Acts, you are quite literally left with about nothing that happened. I've listed for you in your bulletin, for those of you who have looked ahead, you knew what we were talking about already. There are 30 miracles that I've listed in your sermon notes that happen in the book of Acts. The, the problem is some of those miracles include multiple miracles. And so even though there are 30 listings, there are lots more actual miracles that take place in the book of Acts. And the minute we start talking about miracles, we have a problem. Because the word miracle is a lot like the word love, right? I love my wife. I also love peanut butter blueberry smoothies, right? And miracle is kind of the same way. When we say miracle, we could be referring to some unbelievable, extraordinary event where God, I mean, maybe you've had that kind of thing where you, you realize that unless God had reached in, you may not be here right now. And you quite rightly call that a miracle, right? On the other hand, after you spend 45 minutes looking for your keys and you finally find them in the toe of your shoe, you also say, ah, I found them. It's a Miracle, right? So let's get straight. When we talk about miracle today, we're talking about two things. Number one, we're talking about things that God did in his power alone, above nature that are totally unfamiliar to the normal workings of the world. And so God reaches in, he does something by himself, and we call that a miracle. There are lots of those kind of events and acts. Number two, Things that God did, he reaches into the world, but instead of acting alone, he acts through a human agent. He acts through a human being. God delegates his power to people who do things that are totally unfamiliar to the normal workings of the world. And we see all of those kind of things in Acts. And so Acts is saturated with the supernatural. And I just want to kind of point out a few things about miracles. Uh, Number one. Miracles credit the Creator. They credit the Creator. In Acts chapter 22, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, 
uh, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he says to the people there, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with what? Mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Now, you've heard this kind of point before. That's why we're tackling it first. The, the miracles but done by Jesus, the miracles done by his followers in the book of Acts, are always an accreditation to God. Miracles give weight to what is being proposed about God. Signs and wonders prove that what is said, what is done, is true and is from God, right? And so we have an example in Acts chapter 3. There's a lame man. He is sitting at the gate beautiful outside the temple. And Peter walks up to him and he says, I don't have gold or silver to give you because he was a beggar. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what happened? The guy jumped up. He start, started walking around, and then he started leaping around, and then he started praising. And the people in verse 10 and 11, it says that they were filled with amazement. They were utterly astounded, is what the text says. And when Peter explains what's going on, he says this. He says, we didn't do this. It was the name of Jesus that did this. It's the name of Jesus that makes this man well. And Peter is essentially saying, see, to prove that we have the message of Jesus, that we have the power of Jesus, we're doing the same kind of miracles Jesus did. Miracles always credit the creator. They are not ends in themselves. They always point to something. And these miracles point to Jesus. They point to God and they point to what is being said and the fact that it is true. People around you, and maybe yourself, you're always looking for uh, a watertight argument to believe in God, right? Uh, to trust Jesus. And we say things like this. If he would only give me X, you fill in the blank, whatever that is. If he would only give me X, if he'd only just do X, then I would believe. But God didn't give us a watertight argument. Uh, what he gave us was a watertight person. He gave us the person of Jesus. And all of the things that we want him to do are meaningless, except that they point to Jesus. They point to a person. And against Christ, there can be no argument. Here's number two. Miracles point at pain and point to paradise. They point at pain and to paradise. Has it ever occurred to you what Jesus and his apostles didn't do? I'm going to borrow a phrase from uh, Aladdin. Uh, clearly, as you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, uh, these people had phenomenal cosmic power. I don't have the right voice, right? But that's what they had. Uh, just in the book of Acts, you have healing you have teleporting. I don't know what else to call what Philip did. Um, you can read about that. You have people escaping prison. You have people raising dead people from back to life. You have people who are bit by snakes and they're impervious to that. You have people who are exercising demons out of people. You have people who are being escorted by angels. I mean, if you have that kind of power, what do you do with it? What comes to your mind? 
hmm, maybe, uh, maybe my team could go to the playoffs. That'd be nice, right? Uh, maybe I could use some of that power and we could sort out this election thing that's going on. Because <laughs> how crazy is that? Maybe if I had that kind of power, I mean, just a little bit, just a, just a little bit I'll use for myself. And maybe I could, you know, prosper myself just, just a little bit, just enough, right? Whatever came to your mind, that's probably why God doesn't give us power. <laughs> In the book of Acts, miracles are most often pointed at pain. They're pointed at human suffering. Almost without fail, they are designed to alleviate pain and suffering. And so in verse uh, chapter 3, a lame man walks. In chapter 5, Peter's shadow of all things starts healing people. But these are people with disease and sickness. Uh, in chapter 9, Aeneas is paralyzed, but for the first time, he gets to make his bed ever in his life for the first time. In chapter 12, Peter is suffering in prison, and he gets to walk out of the prison. He is freed from that suffering. In chapter 20, Eutychus falls out a window because he fell, falls asleep during a sermon, and he dies, and he is brought back to life. In Acts chapter 28, Publius's father is relieved of the equivalent of, I don't know, how else to put this, irritable bowel syndrome, right? And I've never had that, but I can't imagine that there's greater suffering than that. Miracles are always pointed at suffering. And after you see that trend, the more important thing to ask is why? Why are miracles always pointed to human suffering? And if you look back at chapter 3, where the lame man is healed, Peter is being questioned. And in verse 21, he, he stumbles upon an interesting phrase. He says, he says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time when God will restore all things. I think I have that verse, uh, verse 21. He will restore all things. Why didn't Jesus and his disciples fly around? Did they have the power to do that? Absolutely. I mean, surely that would have been impressive. Why not look through walls? Why not eavesdrop on conversations that are three miles away? Why not make money? I mean, that would have gotten some followers, right? Why not? The, here's the answer. The answer is because miracles are always pointed at human suffering. And they're pointed at human suffering in order to point us to a world where no human suffering exists. That's the good news today. Uh, Peter says, one day he will restore all things. What does that look like? What does that day look like? It looks like a place with no disease, no sickness, no cancer, no slaves, no hate, no bombs, no poverty, no death. And miracles are a little picture. They're a little sign that point to the way things are going to be down the road in the future. When Jesus is king on his throne, we usually call that paradise. Because God did not create blindness. He did not create lameness. He did not create deafness. He did not create sickness. He did not create death. And if we go back to the garden, we won't find any of those things there. And there will come a day. When we live in the garden again, as God created it to be, and miracles give us a foretaste of that day. A lame man can now walk. 
He was always designed to walk. He was never designed to be lame. And one day, we will all walk. We're also being told in miracles something else, and this is a great thought, that God hates all of the brokenness of the world just as much as you do, and that he's doing something about it. I mean, miracles show us that something is happening. God is working. It's not complete yet, but it will be. Miracles show us that God is an enemy of suffering and that one day he will take care of it once and for all. And until then, we're on his team. We get to play right along. And so it's right that we fight against suffering of every kind and alleviate it wherever we possibly can. Number three, miracles reveal reality. Miracles not only look forward to an end, but they also give us a little taste of the present, of what is really going on in our lives. They normally always expose a greater need, and they tell us what our problem really is. One man said this, that, parable, that uh, miracles are little parables that point to what we need spiritually here and now. And so if we go to chapter 3 in the lame man, the, problem, the real problem was not his legs. The real problem was his sin. If you go to Acts chapter 9, Paul is struck blind. And it is, uh, he can't help in his blindness to understand that his real problem is not physical blindness. His real problem is spiritual blindness. And so he learns to trust the one who sees everything. In Acts chapter 16, earthquakes make prison doors fly wide open, and yet nobody escapes. Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners are still there, and the jailer comes rushing in. Why didn't they escape? Here's why. Because the jailer needed a miracle to see that he had invested his life in saviors that could not save him. And as bad as suffering is, as much as God hates suffering, suffering is not our primary problem. Sin is our primary problem. We often say things like this. What I really need is for this relationship to work out. What I really need is for my legs to work. What I really need is for this cancer to be gone. What I really need is to be able to see straight like I used to be able to see. Here's the harsh truth. No, you don't. Let's say you get what you want. I'd be happy if I only had, you fill in the blank, what is it? Let's do an experiment. Let's say you get it. Let's give it 30 days. Are you still happy? You see, there are plenty of people that have legs that work. There are plenty of people that are tumor-free. There are plenty of people who have better than 20-20 vision, and they are miserable. You know why? Because their deepest need is not physical. Their deepest need is always spiritual. And miracles reveal what is really going on in life, in these events that we read in Acts. Miracles reveal that first and foremost, we need a Savior, the legs The eyesight, that's secondary. Here's number four. Miracles work by weakness. Miracles work by weakness. In chapter 3, verse 18, Peter is explaining again about this miracle that um, they performed uh, this lame man. And he says, 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, God orchestrated the suffering of Christ and he brought it to pass. The greatest miracle of all is the cross. That Jesus went to a cross, he died in our place so that we can be right with God. That's the greatest miracle of all. And the greatest miracle of all, C.S. Lewis calls it the grand miracle, is rooted in suffering. Have you ever noticed that miracles, whether, it's done, whether they're done by Jesus or his disciples, they're all kind of founded in suffering? They often involve suffering. And I'm not talking about the people who are being healed. I'm talking about the people who are doing the miracle. In chapter 3, Peter and John are taken, after they heal this lame guy, they're taken before the, the Jewish high council and they are taken to task for doing the miracle. In chapter 6, Stephen is going around doing signs and wonders and he is seized because of them. He is ultimately killed because he's doing signs and wonders in part. Chapter 14, Paul is stoned for healing a guy. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned for driving a demon out of a girl. And all along the way, the Holy Spirit is working through these people to do amazing things. And yet these amazing things always put them in jeopardy, it seems. They always threaten their lives and it puts them in danger. They suffer. Now it would make sense that Jesus's followers would suffer. He said as much. He said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to suffer a little bit because I have suffered. And Jesus's life was this way. In John chapter 11, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead four days. He says, Lazarus, come forth from the tomb. And, he, and Lazarus stumbles out. And immediately, the religious leaders want to kill him. One man said he couldn't take Lazarus out of the grave without putting himself in it. And that's true. He suffered. There's another little incident where a woman comes up behind Jesus and she touches the hem of his robe. And he says an interesting thing. It's always perplexed me. He says, I felt power go out from me. And it's almost like what is happening there is here's a woman who had a disease and she needs healed and she touches the robe of Jesus and his strength flows out of him into her and her weakness flows out of her into him. And he becomes weak. Power has left me. And there's almost this substitution going on. Miracles make Jesus and miracles make his disciples weaker and the people that they are healing stronger and more whole. That's not what we're used to, is it? I want you to think of your favorite superhero, right? Who is it? Batman, <laughs> Spider-Man, Superman, uh, Iron Man, Captain America. Who, who's your favorite superhero? The Flash. Okay, we got it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> You're going to tell me all about him. What's his, what's his, what does he do? What's his superpower? Strength, super strength, right? Yes. Superheroes, um, we're used to them having superpowers, and the superpower makes them invincible, right? 
the superpower makes them, um, it makes them more victorious. It makes them more powerful. But that's not how the miracles in the Bible seem to work. The miracles in the Bible seem to work the opposite way. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if Jesus were to come in ultimate power, what would Jesus' superpower be? It would be to eradicate evil, right? And sin. Sin would be no more. And so let's say that Jesus is going to swoop down on the earth in his ultimate superpower, and he's going to wipe out sin. That would be awesome at first thought. But when you think about it for more than two seconds, you realize if he's going to wipe out evil, if he's going to wipe out sin with this great superpower that he has, guess who he wipes out along with it? Me, because I'm sinful. You are too. And so he did not come in strength. Jesus came in weakness. If Jesus comes like Captain America to abolish sin, then I don't have a chance. And so he comes... Instead, in weakness, and he dies, and he took the punishment that I deserve so that I could have the strength and the reward that was his by birth. We come around this table every week, and the reason, in part, that we come around this table is to celebrate weakness. Weakness. The only way to be able to benefit from the power that Jesus has over sin and death is to be weak. The miracle that we get to partake in today is that in trusting him, we get his reward because he took our punishment. And trust means that we have to be weak. We have to surrender. That means being weak. We have to repent. That means being weak. We have to follow somebody. We have to say, you're in charge. That means we have to be weak. It's to lose control of our life. That's what Jesus said. Take up your cross and follow me. Give your life to me. Be weak. And as you take the emblems today, as they're passed, we want you to be reminded once again that his power and victory doesn't come to you except through his weakness. He had to be weak first. And also be reminded that his power and victory doesn't come into you except through your weakness. So as the trays are passed today, I I say this with all respect, okay? If you're not willing to be weak, then you're not welcome. And I'd like you to take the tray and pass it to somebody else. But if you're willing to admit that you're weak that you're sinful, that you need a Savior. That's what this table's all about. And we invite you to celebrate with us. Sure, you think you can handle it. You think you have it all under control, but you don't. And it's getting harder to deny the fact that you need a miracle. If things keep going the way they're going, it's not going to be pretty. Things inside you need to be fixed. Things in your life need to change. You have no chance of making things right on your own. You need a miracle. And miracles are hard to come by. They're not sold in stores, they don't grow on trees, and they don't have them on 34th Street. Miracles are rare. So where are you going to look for yours? God is the only one who can do miracles. But they'll cost you. 
They'll cost you your pride, your sinful past, your bad habits, and you'll get so much more in return. You need a miracle. That's just another way of saying you need to trust in God. Good morning. I want to introduce you to Tim Woodring. This is Tim. Everybody know Tim? First time I've ever gotten applause for sitting. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about miracles today, uh, this is the guy that pops in my mind. I don't know about you, for some of you that know his story. Um, and so I wanted to get him up here and have him force him to share a little bit about his story. Some of you may not be up to speed. And so, Tim, I want to just start out. Uh, tell us how you got here. What happened? Was it three years ago? Three about, years. about three years ago. Um, lead us through that event, uh, those events in, in a thumbnail sketch here. Just uh, very briefly, um, about, it was three years ago uh, in June. Uh, went to the doctor, was having some uh, issues with uh, memory, just not, realize, not knowing where I was at. And uh, some, some headaches I thought were migraines. Did a CT scan, an MRI, and the bottom line is they had diagnosed me with brain cancer and uh, went through a couple of weeks of that. Dealing with that, uh, the, the, the pain had gotten so, uh, so bad that uh, at, at one point, uh, my wife, we went to the emergency room. My wife ended up taking me to uh, actually ambulance ride. I don't remember any of it. I was, I was out. Uh, to uh, KU, uh, they did surgery, and it was not cancer, it was an uh, infection. And uh, uh, bottom line is, uh, I'm, I am convinced uh, the doctors can't explain it. Um, there's, there's nobody, no earthly explanation of, of how this ended up this. Uh, so I am convinced because of that, that it was a miracle that God uh, chose to, uh, to heal me from that. I think uh, most of us would look at that situation and agree with you, right, that we're absolutely looking at at a miracle and God reaching in and doing something in your life that uh, he doesn't do ordinarily, right? And so this was an extraordinary event. What what did it expose in your life? Mm. We've talked about uh, in the sermon time, you know, miracles tell us where we really are at. And they reveal our reality. Uh, what realities had been uh, maybe made clear to you because of this that had been hidden before? Well, it exposed, the, the, to me anyway, the, the fragility of life. Uh, prior to this, uh, I was telling Dusty this right before, that the last time I was on stage being interviewed by, uh, by Dusty, if you remember, uh, was after I'd ran 100 miles. And uh, I, was, I was actually, at, at, that, at that point in my life, uh, almost feeling invincible. Uh, and then I'm up here talking about my invincibility, you know, my, uh, but I, 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 everything was going well. You know, I, I was in the best shape of my life. I had just ran my first 19-minute uh, uh, 5K. I'd ran my, I PR'd on the half marathon. I just, everything was going well. I felt physically 100% fit. And literally in one day, uh, my world started crashing down because of my health. 
the thing that I was putting most of my trust in. And they didn't realize it at the time, but later looking back, I was putting far too much trust in myself and my health um, and uh, you know, how wrong that was. I think God revealed that to me through this time, that uh, it doesn't matter how much you exercise and how fit you are, uh, your life is a breath. What, uh, piggyback on that, what areas of your life, uh, are there areas aside from your health that you had to more fully entrust to Jesus? Oh, just, just my dependence upon him. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've always been very independent and, uh, uh, just realizing that I am not in control and that's a good thing because I should not be in control, uh, was something I really had to, I really struggled with early on, and I and honestly still struggle with today. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a process you go through, but the, the, the older I get, the more I realize that I'm not in control, and that is a good thing. Yeah. Through all of this, what was the hardest to deal with? Oh, no, no question. Well, there was two things. Number one, the pain that I was causing others. Uh, that, that, really, that really hurt me to the core. The only thing that really hurt me to the core was seeing the pain and anguish I was causing my family and friends, uh, which, which bothered me a lot. But personally, the, the, uh, the weakness itself, uh, just being dependent upon others. I, again, I, I was very, uh, very independent. And so not being able to go to the bathroom myself, uh, you know, not being able to walk around the corridor uh, of the hospital wing without having someone hold on to my right side and my left side, having to take a break, literally walking around this little corridor because I was so uh, winded. I mean, that was, uh, uh, it was very difficult uh, for somebody who was very proud. And, and, uh, and again, that, that pride was something that God was teaching me, uh, was, was vanity. As you look forward after having come through that, and obviously uh, you've given credit to God uh, through with everything that happened and fully would, uh, I'm sure, say this was God's hand in my life. No question. Right? No, no question, question about that. So what perspective does that give you on the future? Like, um, what, what are you looking forward to in heaven now oh because you've been through this? Huh. I did get to spend some time thinking about what heaven was going to be like, and and uh, and, I, and I realized real quickly that that one thing good that I re- did realize is I'm not afraid to die. Um, I, I I really understand when Paul said uh, you know, to live as Christ, to die is gain. I understood the die is gain part because I really uh, was not afraid to die. I was actually looking forward to it. Um, yeah, how morbid that might sound to some of you, but. Uh, I really was looking forward to it, and so uh, I, 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 just the whole thought of heaven and eternity uh, with my Savior, uh, just, I mean, it, it made all the difference in the world to me, um, and I think it, it, it did, as, as my family kind of saw that in me, not bemoaning the fact that this happened to me, but the fact that I was, I was anticipating looking forward to uh, an eternity with my Savior. I, I was hoping it made it easier for them. It certainly made it easier on me. There may be say, things that you've already touched on that uh, would you would use in this answer, but what came out of this that you least expected? 
You know, it, it, that's kind of hard. I knew these questions in advance, by the way. Uh, and that, that yeah, was a cheat sheet. I did. And that was so hard for me to, uh, to kind of put into words. And it's still hard for me to explain. So I'm going to do the best I can. I, I believe that, that, that my miracle, um, my gift from God was not healing. I, I, I believe, and, I, and I, as, as the days turned into weeks and months and, and now years, uh, I believe that God's gift to me was wisdom to uh, better understand what He says when you are not your own. Um, and, and that's, again, for somebody that's independent and, and prideful by, by nature, is a is a hard lesson to learn, but I believe it's one that that he is uh, he is continually to impress upon me as as the weeks and months and years go by that I was not created, I was not formed in my mother's womb for myself, for my own enjoyment, for my life on this earth to be about me. And so many times I was I was allowing that to happen, and uh, and I, I believe that, that this is. It wasn't unexpected in the fact that I didn't know that already, but but it became far more real to me that that I was not created for myself. And so, if God chose to allow me to leave after 49 years, praise God, I got 49 fantastic years for it with a beautiful wife and three wonderful children and friends and and, and extended family. That was a gift. And, and who am I to sit back and, and question why God allowed that to happen? Uh, God allowed me to have a, a, some more time, and uh, which is great, but I don't believe that more time was, to, was for my benefit. I think that more time was for, for God to uh, allow this story to affect you and people that, that you know of. It, it, I, it's not about me. It was never about me. And um, and so I, I think it's kind of unexpected for me because at first I thought the miracle was the healing, and now I realize the miracle is just me better understanding that uh, I was not created for myself, for my own pleasure, for my own activities, for my own things, uh, but I was created for by God for God, and however God chooses to use me. And the time I have, praise God. So that's kind of what it was. I, I gather from that answer that you would agree uh, with the sermon point that said your, your main issue is not physical, it's spiritual. Oh, right. absolutely. So Absolutely. In that vein, here's one final question. Uh, just agree, disagree. Being healed is not the same as being saved. Completely agree. And why? why? Why do you say that? Well, uh, healed is temporal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, healed is, is uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's really nothing. I mean, all we know, uh, I love the illustration of this rope, and, and you've probably seen it before, and somebody ties a, a little red ribbon around the end of the rope, and the, and the rest of the rope extends throughout the room, and it goes and goes and goes and goes, and that's our life, is that little ribbon at the end. And that's healing. Can that affect more than that little ribbon? Uh, but being saved affects the entire rope. Uh, 
And, uh, I mean, the fact that, that we get the opportunity to live for eternity in heaven uh, uh, with our Lord and Savior is just unbelievable. But at the same time, that doesn't relieve the fact that, that in that little uh, bit at the beginning of the rope that I, I should not, because I love God, not because I'm obligated to, but because my God has saved me, then I get the, I get the opportunity to live for Him. And uh, that's a growing process. Again, I, I understand the to die is gain. Uh, to, the, the, to live as Christ is, is a growing process and something that I, I still continue to I struggle with, but uh, yeah, um, uh, no question that that uh, healing is is good, but being saved is incredible. Awesome, uh, Tim. We thank you for your faith. We thank you for your example to all of us. I know that everybody in here uh, loves you and appreciates your walk with Christ, and the way that you've gone through this ordeal has been an example to us. And we thank you. So. I want to conclude with just a couple thoughts, and um, one of them is more than likely some of you have been thinking all through that interview, as you've heard Tim's story, maybe you didn't know it before, but if you did, you've been thinking this, why Tim? And why not, why not my mom? Why not? my son, why not me? Those are normal thoughts. They're normal questions to ask. And I, I need to tell you that no one this side of eternity, <laughs> short of God, can give you the answer to that question. I have no idea. But I will point you to people in Acts that were in your shoes. And let me give you two examples. Number one is in Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul is going around and he's healing people by way of his handkerchief and his apron is what it says. Uh, Maybe it was his clothes. It was some, I mean, are people being healed by his Kleenex? I don't, you know, that's kind of what the, the impression we get. Okay, so he's able to do these amazing things, healing people. And yet he writes to his son in the faith, a very dear friend, Timothy, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, he says, Timothy, I need you to try some medication for your frequent illnesses. Apparently, Timothy had some illnesses and maybe some disease that plagued him. Paul's trying to help him through that. And I get the, I, we get the question, I mean, why doesn't Paul just heal him? Why can't Paul heal his best friend? He can heal all of these people he doesn't even know, but he cannot heal his best friend. What's going on there? I don't know. But Paul was in your shoes. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is arrested by Herod. Uh, He is imprisoned. And then he is miraculously saved by an angel. An angel shows up at the prison doors. They all bust free and the angel escorts Peter out of the prison and does kind of a star star Wars. You're not looking for these droids kind of thing. And they walk out of the prison. Okay. Just two. That's a miracle. Just two verses before Peter is imprisoned and miraculously saved. James also is arrested by Herod, but he is not saved. He is beheaded. He is killed. Why does Peter get saved and James get a sword? Again, I don't know. 
But G. Campbell Morgan said this, that God delivered Peter proves his power to have delivered James. That God delivered Peter proves his power to have delivered James. And what I take from that is that any miracle, no matter who it involves, is ultimately not about just that person, but it's about all of us. And so we get to be in on Tim's miracle. We get to say, you know what? God did that in his life, and it's, it's an indication, it's proof that he's going to do something great in our lives as well. It just may not be in this lifetime, but God is on our side. And Tim's miracle lets us in on that. As the band comes, one more thought. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says that those who come after him, that's us, will be able to do even greater works than he has done. I've always wondered, how in the world is that possible? How can we do greater works than Jesus did? Jesus walked on the water and he raised Lazarus back from the dead. He, he, he rose from the dead himself. How do we do greater works? And the truth is that the miracles that you see in the New Testament, whether they're in the Gospels or in Acts, are largely local. They're largely temporary, and Tim even said it, they are temporal. They deal with the physical. A great example is Lazarus. Jesus raised him, and he's now walking around on the earth again. He's living for the second time. But have any of you met Lazarus? Anyone? No. Why haven't you met Lazarus? It's because eventually he died again. Tim is okay with this thought because we've talked, okay? Tim was spared, but the reality is Tim's going to die. And that's the same with all of us who have kind of gone through miracles. Maybe our life was spared this time, but we will die. Being healed is not the same as being saved. But the work that Jesus lets us in on is that we get to be a part of something that's universal. We get to be a part of something that's eternal. They're spiritual and lasting. The miracles that we get to do deal with what really matters. Jesus raised physical people, uh, raised the physically dead, and then they died again. What he, gets, what he asks us to be a part of is to raise the spiritually dead in his name so that they can live forever. That's great. And so how about you? Where are you today? Are you spiritually dead? You need Jesus. Are you sick? You need Jesus. Are you without hope? You need Jesus. Do you have some fractures and some fissures in your life? You need Jesus. Maybe those things will be taken care of. Maybe they won't. But you need Jesus. So I want you to stand and I'm going to pray. And if you have a decision... If you need to accept Jesus for the first time and let that miracle happen in your life, you come as we, as we sing. Father, I thank you for the miracle that you have given to each of us that we can have life even though we are sinful and deserve death. Father, I pray for each one here that they would open their hearts to the truth of the gospel, which is that your grace extends to everyone. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Hello, everybody, again. I want to introduce you to Tim Woodring. Everybody say hi, Tim. <clears throat> most of you know Tim. Some of you may not. And so the reason um, I'm sure that most people would agree with me, um, if you know Tim's story, and we're talking about miracles, um, this is one you say, yep, that's a miracle. And so, Tim, uh, for those that don't know, bring us up to speed. Uh, what happened three years ago? Why are you here? How did God work in your life? All right, well, um, it was three years ago in uh, June. Uh, I was uh, experienced some symptoms uh, uh, that just not being able to uh, remember where I was at, uh, uh, where, where, what I was doing or, or things like that. And it was at the same time as having some headaches, issues like that. And so I uh, went to the doctor uh, thinking it was just a migraine, and he uh, immediately said, uh, you know, I just, just for the sake of, uh, of ruling things out, let's do a CT scan, did one of those, followed up with MRI, and bottom line is, is that uh, I was diagnosed with a, uh, an aggressive form of brain cancer, and um, went through a couple of weeks of, of dealing with that, and then um, um, uh, the pain got so bad uh, that um, I actually don't remember anything, but uh, I was uh, taken to KU. Uh, they did surgery and uh, found out that it was just an infection. Uh, it was not cancer after all. And uh, here I am, three years later. So that's it. And part of that story is it was cancer, right? Uh, I, you know, I, the, the only way that I can... I, I absolutely 100% believe it was cancer, uh, and the reason I do is that uh, every doctor, uh, including the uh, cancer doctors, the uh, the uh, uh, infectious disease doctor, the uh, the uh, brain surgeon that did all, all this stuff, every one of them can't explain exactly how this turned into this, uh, and so because of that, and and several other. Uh, just kind of obscure things that nurses or other people have said that they they all they were 100 percent of the uh, idea that it was cancer and so I don't doubt that profession so agree yeah um, the the point that I was trying to make earlier one of them was that miracles reveal what's really going on in our life mm. as you went through this ordeal. What did you learn about it yourself? What did the, this journey reveal about Tim Woodring? Yeah, one of the things that, uh, that became very evident in my life was uh, the fact that uh, I was too dependent upon uh, the physical side of things, uh, actually, my body. I was I mentioned the first service. I, um, at this point in my life... Uh, I, I was probably, well, no, no question, I was the most physically fit I'd ever been. Um, and I, I, the last time we were up on stage doing an interview like this, it was because I had uh, finished a 100-mile. Um, and and um, 100-mile run, run through the wilderness yeah. like it took you 36 hours to do. Uh, 25, but that's okay. counting. Well. Uh, but, uh, I'm glad you set the record yeah. straight there. <laughs> 
but I, I literally, just a month before all this happened, I had set PRs in, in a 5K and a half marathon. I was just fifth. And uh, in an instant, uh, it was all taken away. And, and what, it, what it revealed to me was that I was, I was putting far too much faith in, my phys- my, in the physical side of things uh, and, and far too little in uh, being dependent upon God and, and the spiritual side of things. And so the, 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 the fragility of life, how uh, it doesn't matter how much time and effort and, and how physically fit you really are, uh, life can can be taken from you in a moment's notice, and 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 where what I'm doing with my life uh, begins to make bigger sense. Uh, so I, that was the big thing, I think. I'm sure that going through this uh, something like this gives you a different perspective than you've otherwise no. had. Um, no. And as far as it relates to what we have to look forward to as Christians, um, what are you excited about now in heaven yeah. that uh, you may not have realized before this? I, it's not that I, I, and I think if, if anybody thinks of heaven, you think of this incredible place. And, and, but, but for that, that brief moment of time when I, when I, I felt like, I mean, the, the, the oncologist said, you know, you might... Uh, you need to think about whether you want to uh, do any kind of treatment or if that's even worth it. And so I read into that treatment is probably would prolong it, but isn't going to fix anything. And so I immediately said, okay, I'm going to die. And so at that point, everything shifted to, to future. And so I had the opportunity to really think about what I was looking forward to about heaven. Uh, I realized in this process that uh, I'm not afraid to die. I actually look forward to it. Uh, you never know how you're going to react until you're put in that position. But I, I can honestly say that I, I looked expectantly forward to the future of, uh, of God taking me home. And, and some of the things, I mean, just, just walking hand in hand and asking questions. That's the, I, I'm kind of a, uh, I want to know why things happen, not just what they, you know, I want to know the ins and outs. And so I can't wait to sit down with Jesus and say, okay, explain to me how this happened, or why did you do this in this person's life and not that, and uh, just just things like that. I, I, I don't look forward to um, a mansion of gold. I don't look forward to that. I look forward to walking hand in hand with my Savior and just be able to say, ah, just absorb that love, you know? That's just, yeah. You could go on for a while. I, I could yeah. go on okay. forever, yeah. And I'll, uh, but I'll get weepy, so we don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> Tell me what came out of this that you least expected. Yeah, and I, th- th- this is really hard to, to put into words uh, because it, it, I, I didn't fully realize it. And, I, and I, I'm just kind of, I'm realizing it as the, the older I get and the more I, 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 I honestly, when, when Dusty asked me to do this, I hadn't thought about this in quite some time. Uh, it's become who I am, not what happened. Uh, but one of the things that, that I, I've, I've come to understand more fully, I, the miracle was not extending my life. The miracle wasn't taking cancer away, which is what I originally thought it was. The miracle to me, the gift to me, was a better understanding of life and purpose. Uh, 
I, I realized that I, I was not owed anything. God didn't owe me anything. And so the fact that I had 50 incredible years with the woman that I dearly love and three wonderful children and friends and family and a church that I adore, uh, that was a gift. And it was, uh, it was something that I was just completely blessed with. And, and God didn't owe me 55 years or 65 years or 80 years. He didn't owe me 50. But I was privileged to, 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 to live that 50. Uh, now I get to live a, a few more, which is, which is wonderful. But uh, that, that, that pulls in the whole purpose. Why do I exist? Why am I here? And uh, the, the realization or the, the better realization is of uh, I am not here for myself. I'm here for others. Uh, it's not about me. It never was about me, but many times I made it about me. Uh, I'm here for others. I'm here for God. I was created. I was formed when he chose to put me in my mother's womb. And he started that process, that incredible process that we see. I, it was not about that creature that was there. It was about how could that creature serve the created, uh, creator. Uh, and so um, I, over the, the days, months, and years past, uh, this episode has kind of allowed me to better understand life as a gift, live each day to the fullest, and in each and every day, it better be about my purpose, which is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people as myself. So don't do it very well. I'll be the first to admit I'm still still working on that, but uh, uh, it, it's it's. I think the gift God has given me is that better understanding and realization of why I'm here. In that, um, in that goal that you came out of this with to, to love pe- God and love people more and better, what areas of your life have you then had to more fully entrust to Jesus to but, be able to do that? Sure, it, 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 it totally comes back to my selfish attitude uh, and my dependence upon myself. Uh, the thing that, that uh, I've always prayed for my kids uh, when they grow, as they were growing up was that they would become more uh, dependent upon God, less independent and more dependent on, on God. Now I realize the reason I prayed that was because that's what I saw in myself, independence. And, uh, and so I, 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 I so want to be 100% dependent on God, not in my own abilities, not in my... Uh, anything that I could function on my own, uh, but that God would work in me and through me to accomplish His purpose. Uh, again, that's easier said than done, but 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 dying to myself on a daily basis, uh, realizing that uh, it's it's not about me and it never was, is is a, it's big, and it's something that I continue to struggle with. Obviously, yeah. we all do. Yeah. Um, last question. Here's the statement: Being healed is not the same as being saved. Would you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah. I would. Care to expound on that? <laughs> well, uh, obviously being healed is, is temporal. I mean, it's, it, it, it's for, for a window of time. Um, but saved is for eternity. And so, I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. And I, 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 when I... When I was diagnosed, and, and I, I, and I, you know, the hardest part about 
that little bit of time there was was telling my family and seeing the pain that they were dealing with but but I think at the same time knowing that that we have an eternity with our Lord and Savior makes all the difference in the world and so uh, honestly being healed is is so low on the uh, on the scale and being saved is so high they can't even relate uh, you know, knowing your your Lord and Savior as uh, the one who will take you home is is what it's all about. Changes everything. It does yeah. it does? Tim, thank you very much. Um, this church family loves you. Uh, please know that. I know you do know that. I do know that. But and we are certainly thankful. I'm going to speak on everybody's behalf. We're thankful for the faith, the faithfulness that you've shown through this, and uh, the way you've been able to love God and be a peaceful person even in the midst of incredible. Uh, trials and circumstances. And so we thank you for that. God bless. Thanks, brother. Thanks. So two, two quick thoughts um, to wrap up. First of, first of all, some of you have been thinking this whole time that we've been talking, why Tim? Why not my mom? Why not my cousin? Why not my son? Why not my spouse? And I cannot give you the answer to that. But what I can give you is a couple of examples in the book of Acts uh, where there are people that are going through exactly what you're going through. Um, In Acts chapter 19, Paul is going around and he's healing people, uh, people with diseases and, and sickness, and he's healing them by way of his very clothes. I mean, that's what's going on. And yet, at the very same time, he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, very, very dear friend, and he says in chapter 5 of First Timothy, he says, Timothy, I need you to, to take some... Med- I want you to try some medication for your frequent illnesses. And the question is, Paul... You've just been healing all of these people. Why can't you heal your friend? If they just touch your clothes, they're healed. And you can't heal your friend? I don't know the answer to that. Paul didn't know the answer to that. God does. Here's example number two. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is arrested by Herod. He is imprisoned. He is then miraculously saved out of that prison uh, scenario by way of an angel. An angel comes and the bars all fly open and he escorts Peter out in kind of a Star Wars, you know, you do not recognize these droids. These are not the droids you're after kind of way, right? And um, he's, he's saved. What you skip over in that text in Acts chapter 12 is that two verses before that, there's the Apostle James of Peter, James, and John, one of his best friends that hung around Jesus just as much as Peter did. And James is also captured by Herod, but he is not saved. He is beheaded. Why is Peter saved and James gets a sword? I don't know. I don't know. G. Campbell Morgan said this, That God delivered Peter proves his power to have delivered James. That's a great line. And what I take from it is this, that whatever miracle happens, no matter who the miracle happens to, no matter who it involves, 
It's ultimately about all of us. And we all get to share in the miracle. Tim's miracle proves that he can ultimately deliver us all. And those people that you wanted miracles for so much will in the end, by the, in the name of Jesus, be saved. And Tim's miracle proves that. Here's, here's the second thought while the band comes forward. Is this, in John fourteen twelve, Jesus says that those who come after him That's us, right? We come after Jesus. We'll be able to do even greater works than he has done. Think about the works that Jesus did. He walked on water. He raised Lazarus from the grave. How in the world are we going to do greater works than those? And one of the things you have to realize is that the miracles in the New Testament are largely local. They're largely temporary. They're largely temporal. Tim used that word just a few minutes ago. In other words, they just deal with the physical stuff. And a great example is Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus out of the grave, and he he was dead, and now he's living again. But have you ever met Lazarus? Anybody in the room? No. Why? Because ultimately he died again. Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus was purely a physical thing. But the work that he invites us to is eternal. It's spiritual. It's everlasting. Jesus raised the physically dead and they died again. And what he lets us do is raise the spiritually dead in his name so that they will live forever. That's what we get to do. And so where are you? Um, Are you dead spiritually today? You need Jesus. Are you sick? You need Jesus. Are you without hope? You need Jesus. Is there a relationship in your life that is broken and fissured? You don't necessarily need that relationship fixed. What you need primarily is Jesus. And then, amazingly, Jesus can help you fix that relationship. Your deeper need is always spiritual. That's why we offer an invitation. I'd like you to stand. And we're going to sing a song. And if you have that decision that you need to make, if you need to come and a miracle happen in your life, if you need to be free and alive, Jesus has made himself weak so that you can do that. You need to make yourself weak to accept it. You do that as we sing.